We have another attempt to get the fake DHS agents out of federal custody. This one coming from Michelle M. Peterson representing Arian Tahazurzadeh. We're calling him Tazzy here on this channel. And she is now making the argument that there's no basis to keep him in custody. Remember, he's one of two. It is Mr. Tazzurday, Tazzy. And we also have Hader Ali. Hader Ali was a co-defendant or is a co-defendant. And we're now learning that both of these guys are no longer partners. They're now pointing their fingers at each other. We covered Ali's attempt to get out of custody in a separate video because it's a big, long 17 page motion. We wanted to make sure we're giving both of these defendants the details, the time and attention that each of their cases deserves. And so go check out that video if you want to see what's going on with Hater Ali. He's got four family members writing in to vouch for him, saying that he's just a good old American citizen, had nothing to do with any of this, and in fact, blaming Tazzy for all of this, saying he was responsible for it. And so now Tazzy has to also sort of rebut those claims. But in this situation, the public defender, Miss Peterson, is making the argument that he's not a flight risk. He's not a danger. The government hasn't presented enough evidence to keep him in custody. Let's see how that goes. Here, she writes, Arian respectfully opposes the government's motion to keep him in custody, says the government's speculative assertions and rhetorical flourishes aside, there's no justification that he's a flight risk or a danger to the community. She wants him released into HISP, which is high intense uh, uh, supervised probation, high intensity supervised probation. The government has failed to demonstrate that it is a detainable offense in the first instance or saying that no conditions of release would secure his appearance. So kind of a lot of boilerplate language here. Tazzy is charged with impersonation of a federal police officer, saying it's not a crime of violence, saying the government cannot demonstrate that no combinations of conditions would reasonably assure the safety of the community. And so what the argument here is saying, look, judge, we know that currently you're keeping him in detention. And one of those reasons is because if you let him out, he's going to be a danger to the community. But there's no evidence here that you can't craft some other resolution, some other release conditions that would also protect the community, also reach the goals of the justice system. It's not just about, you know, community safety. It's also making sure that person shows back up to court. And so there are things we can do to make sure that all of this works well. We don't just have to use detention. And because in this country, we believe that people have the presumption of innocence and they deserve due process. We'd like to default to letting them out until there is basically no nothing we can do but to keep them in. And so this public defender, Ms. Peterson, is saying, Tazzy is eligible for placement into HISP, and his father would be an appropriate third-party custodian. We're going to hear from him. He actually called into the court proceeding. We'll cover that in a separate video. Appropriate conditions would include a restriction that he do not does not possess any firearms or ammo. He could be put on monitoring, on location monitoring. He could stay away from the location where the search warrant was executed. He could reside with his father. He could stay within 50 miles of a radius here avoid all contact. He could be precluded from talking to his co-defendant or anybody who might be a victim except through counsel. He could do all these things. He could communicate with pretrial services as directed and we could let him out. Why don't we do that, judge? Mr. Tazzy, she writes, agrees to abide by all these conditions. Pick any one of them. Here's 13 different options, judge. Pick some. The Bail Reform Act, as we see, she's going to give us some law here, says that if their you know, defendants are sitting in custody, we want to make sure that we let them out. They say if the charged felony is not a crime of violence, 
Well, one of the things that you should do is let them out. You have to make sure that the sole pending charge here, she says the sole pending charge is a false impersonation. And we talked about this a little bit more in the hater Ali motion because his lawyer really flushed this argument out. But the idea is that the crime of impersonating a law enforcement officer by itself is not a crime of violence, right? You don't need a gun to do it. You don't need a knife or a machete to do those things. You can walk right up to somebody without any weapon or any violence. And you can just say, Hey, I happen to be a police officer and this is what I do. So here it's a felony, but it's not a violent felony. It's not like aggravated assault or aggravated robbery or, you know, something involving a, an actual weapon. So they're saying, if they want to make an allegation of dangerousness here, they're free to do that. Go ahead and do it. But they haven't done it. So they're saying that's not justification to keep them out. Writes, even if a detention hearing is warranted when imposing a condition, the court must use the least restrictive conditions. You can't just automatically default to incarceration. What is the least restrictive condition? This defense lawyer gave us a whole list of them. Says there's no presumption here that would presume to keep this person in custody. Rather, the presumption here is the defendant will be released pending trial unless the government can prove otherwise. Saying that the detention must be the only means by which community safety can be assured. 18 U.S. Code 3142 F2B. Also cite some case law. In determining whether the government has defeated this presumption for release, saying that if all things are equal, the law says we got to let these guys out goes through the same different four factors that we talked about in the hater Ali motion. Let's run through them again as they apply to Tazzy because it's a separate case. Here, the nature and circumstances of the offense charged. As it applies to Tazzy, we get a maximum of three years and a guideline range of zero to six months. So for as serious as the government says this whole thing is, saying that they were palling around with Secret Service agents who were protecting the White House and literally Jill Biden, saying that they were sending stuff and materials to other agents trying to compromise them so that they would secrete evidence saying that they might have ties to foreign intelligence, all this stuff. The only, what they've been charged with in the criminal complaint is pretty Meyer here, statutory maximum three years guidelines, zero to six months. And if you've got no prior criminal record as uh, Ali has his defense attorneys arguing for probation, he has one prior offense, which is Let's see, not addressed here. As the government conceded, the firearm allegedly seized was registered in DC. The government cites to the denial of a conceal and carry application, but it doesn't negate the fact that the weapon was registered as permissible within the home. And it evidences an attempt to follow the law. Tazzy clearly did not knowingly violate the law. Had he known this, there's no evidence that he knew about the law. That's kind of, you know, they're not going to care about that. In fact, the evidence that he did is not striking. He registered in D.C., sought to abide by the law. This is evidence that he will abide by the court-imposed obligations. This goes forward, says, Moreover, the court surmised there was no large sum of money involved. The rent on the apartments was not paid by anyone, and a default judgment was entered, meaning that they were sort of telling the people who were living at these penthouses that rent was covered, but it turns out it wasn't covered. And so that's kind of a big deal, right? What if you're, uh, one, one, of, your, one of your thoughts here is that these two are being funded by foreign intelligence. They've got unlimited coffers. They're buying everybody weapons. They are sending Glocks and, you know, assault rifles and buying people safes and sending cigars through the mail. Where's that money coming from? They actually don't have a, a, a contract with apparently anybody, right? They don't work. The USSP 
which was their LLC, or at least Tazzy's LLC, not have any contracts uh, as far as we know with anybody. So where's the money coming from? Or maybe there was no money because they defaulted on all of these rent payments. According to the complaint, they said the amount of the default was $223,000. The company signed a lease in 2020, but never paid any rent. Tishman Speyer, landlord of the men accused of impersonating these agents, won a $222,000 judgment for unpaid rent. Rent was for five apartments they lived in and loaned out to Secret Service agents. So they weren't paying it. And why did this why did this apartment complex just let them live there for a year and rack up $222,000 in unpaid rent? I mean, if you get a default judgment, right, that's sort of settling a contract. But don't you evict the people who are in your property? Get them out of there so that you can fill it with paying tenants? The default judgment against the United States Special Police, a company connected, was entered in Superior Court in Washington in January. So this whole thing is like crumbling down around them. We go to the next factor, the weight of the evidence against Tazzy. According to the proffer of the government, the evidence that Tazzy held himself out as a law enforcement officer is not insignificant, especially in light of how cooperative he was upon his arrest. Waived his Miranda rights, talked to them for five and a half hours while handcuffed not the actions of someone who's a danger to the community or likely to obstruct justice. And whether the government can prove the elements of the offense is another matter. Goes through, gives us some citations to the Ninth Circuit. History and characteristics of this defendant. He does have misdemeanor convictions over a decade old incarceration of one month total, actively sought to obey the law, registered his firearm, no prior convictions, 40 years old had a license to operate as a special police officer and a private detective, but it then sort of expired. This was, as he acknowledged in his statement, an embarrassing misrepresentation that got out of control. So he's just embarrassed. That's how this whole thing started. You know, it's like you say that you're, you know, I'm really good at that. And they like, oh, well, here you go. Why don't you do this thing? You go, oh, shoot. Now I've got to perform. Kind of what he was doing, saying, I'm going to be an officer. Oh, are you an officer yet? Yeah, I kind of am now. Oh, and it just kind of snowballs down the mountain. And then before you know it, you're... Um, hanging out with secret service agents in the pool who are protecting the white house. Another risk to the danger of the, to the community factor says, moreover, the court must assess the risk of future dangerousness. Tazzy could no longer continue what he was doing. He's been caught. So now he can't, you know, continue to impersonate anybody. So how is that dangerous? Any danger concerning the weapons obviated because those have been seized. He doesn't have access to those anymore. And so the court can do whatever they want. Make sure he doesn't touch weapons, doesn't possess them. He's going to abide by the conditions of his release. He's going to show up to court. He's not a danger to the community. He told law enforcement he's got no intention of compromising any feds. He acknowledged the gift to the agents. He thought that they were just friends. He acted out of a desire for friendship, not to influence anyone. He never asked for anything from the officers. He befriended, never gave them anything for the purpose of gaining something in response. And he deeply regrets his involvement in this matter. What are you talking about? It's not like he showed up and something was going on and he jumped in and started participating. These two co concocted the whole scheme. They had fake Facebook pages and everything. Moreover, when asked prior to his arrest by the USPS investigator, if he was a law enforcement officer, he said, no, he can and will abide by the conditions of the court. You see signed off on here. Uh, just th this Michelle Peterson is arguing Give him ankle monitoring, give him third party custody, send him to his dad, something, anything can be done to mitigate the danger to the community and he should be released. So 
asking that this whole thing is uh, sort of uh, re remodified and his detention is ordered. Uh, his release is ordered. Exhibits were attached and the defense attorney added a couple of these things. Arian Tazarday, we see he had a license at one point that expired for a private detective in 2020, also had a special police officer status that was revoked in 2021 or expired, inactive and revoked. We talked about some of that in the prosecutor's motion. We also see here that there was the U.S. United States Special Police Organization that had an active license that expired in 2021. So, you know, they're sort of making the argument that this thing was legitimate at one point. You know, they were actually sort of, uh, you know, laying the foundation for some sort of a company, some sort of an organization, and then they just kind of lost control of the whole thing. Here is the memo that came across from the postal inspector. You can see that they wrote back on 321, on March 21 at 237, Inspector Guard received a call from U.S. Special Police gave the phone number there. They say Inspector Guard called the business at 1212 today to inquire about Hader Ali's representation that he was an investigator for the USSP Special Investigations Unit. Below is a summary. It's not an actual transcript. A male on the line unintelligibly said his name. I saw you called. Inspector Guard believed the caller's first name to be Arian. Hmm, that's Tazzy. Inspector Guard introduced himself. Who are you speaking with? The caller said it's Arian Tazarazadeh with USSP. Guard immediately recognized the name as the name provided by Ali as his supervisor, HSI Special Agent Tazarzadeh. Inspector Guard said, oh, hey, Tazzy, what's your job title? Tazzy says, I'm the owner. I'm the original partner of the USSP Special Investigations Unit. Tazzy says the company is an SPO, it's a special police officer, and a private detective PD agency operates in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. Tazzy said, I'm a licensed SPO and a private detective. Tazzy said, I'm in the process of closing the business down, largely due to the struggles that experienced through the COVID-19 pandemic. It was a hard one. Inspector Guard asked Tazzy if he knew Ali, and if he did so, how did he know Ali? Tazzy said, yeah, I knew Ali well. I sponsored him to receive his PD license, his private detective license in DC. Guard said, you know, are you or somebody, have you or have you ever been a Department of Homeland Security or an HSI special agent? Tassie said, no, no. I run an SPO company that I'm about to close down. Why? Inspector Guard informed Tassie that Ali represented that USSP was part of DHS and said that Tassie is a special agent for Homeland Security. Inspector Guard asked Tassie if he or USSP holds any contracts with DHS. Tassie said, no. I don't. He explained he previously bid on contracts for background investigative work with DC Homeland, but never held a contract. Hmm. So the question, of course, is this all serious? Was he just in over his head? Is he just winding all this down? Was he really going to close it down? Was he telling the inspector he was going to close it down just so the inspector goes away while keeping all of this open? Did he knowingly encourage Ali to proffer forward that he was an agent? The memo continues. Tazzy said he has no idea why Ali would have represented him to be an HSI special agent. I don't know why he would do such a thing. This again taking place right around the same time that these two know this thing is crashing down upon them. Tazzy said, as Ali's private detective sponsor, 
that he's going to take his license away. Tazzy expressed concern to the inspector guard. This incident might affect my licenses. I'm going to handle this issue right away. Don't you worry about it, Mr. Postal Inspector. I'll take care of this. Sorry to get you involved in all this. Why don't you just go back to whatever it is you do? Tazzy provided his personal cell, his date of birth, 1981, and his email, and the interview terminated at 3.03. And it started at 2.37, so that's a decent phone call there. And the activity date, 3.21. So we know that that was close, closing in on the date where the FBI was literally just about to raid their uh, apartment and bring this whole thing crashing down. So uh, at this point, we know that the two co-defendants are sort of really bifurcating, separating from one another. They are pointing fingers at each other. We can see here, even in this interview, that Hader is becoming the scapegoat. We have Tazzy now saying that he has no idea why any of this stuff was moving forward. If we look at the defense motion in opposition to the detention that came from Ali, he's doing the same thing, saying that everything that happened here was all because of Tazzy, all his idea. All of, None of these guys know what was going on. Weird. Shocking and weird. So Tazzy is blaming Ollie. Ollie is blaming Tazzy. We have two defense attorneys who are now beefing up their cases, saying the U.S. government has failed to proffer forward enough evidence to keep these two in detention. We have a judge who really doesn't know what to do about this, has rescheduled the detention hearing several times. We'll see what he does. We're not sure if he's going to release them. He seems like he wants to keep them in, but the government has sort of been lacking in some of the specifics that would give the judge the basis to do that. And so we'll continue to follow along. I hope you join us in that journey. I would love it if you subscribed before you got out of here, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one.